Well, good morning. I'm Pastor David Dyer, and it is my distinct honor and pleasure uh, to proclaim God's word to you today, to be with you, to worship with you. If we don't say it enough, thank you. Just thank you for being here. Um, it's, it, uh, it does a pastor's heart good uh, to see God's people. It does a pastor's heart good to know that uh, all the things that we, we pray about and plan for all week long, the staff and the work that they do, uh, that it's appreciated by you uh, when you're here. And so we just want to say thank you. If we, don't, if we don't say that enough, we love you and we appreciate you. This morning we're going to look in uh, Luke chapter 15. We are here uh, in our study on the table and what does it mean to be invited to the table? Who gets invited to the table? Uh, what happens at the table? And ultimately today that we have a homecoming. That's what the table is all about. How many of you went away to college, Votech school or military and can distinctly remember the first time you came home? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, was that a thumbs up experience? Go ahead and just let's see if there were, well, there's not as many hands up. Not quite sure what that totally means, but I can remember coming home from school uh, after, and it just, it was great. It was like, hey, we got your favorite food. Oh, and there's some uh, Reese's peanut butter cups in the freezer, just like you like them. And, you know, I mean, it was like, man, you anticipated me coming home. That's awesome. That just feels so good, doesn't it? And maybe you were gone for years, right? Maybe a deployment, nine months, a year, year and a half. Some of you know what that's like. You see those on YouTube a lot of times, right? The kids at a basketball game, mom or dad surprises them, right? Walks up behind them. Because we know what that homecoming is like. And it hits us right here. It should be great to come. And so the, the issue becomes, one, do you know where home is? And two, I'm going to ask you an honest question, and I think you're initially going to want to answer it one way, but I want you to stop and think. Do you want to go home? Do you know where home is, and do you want to go home? Because there are things that have to happen in order for all of those things to happen. So if you'll open up your Bibles, if you've got your uh, smartphones out this morning, we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, 1 and following. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Who was around him? Tax collectors and the sinners, the people that needed Jesus. That's what I mean by do you know where home is? Do you know where Jesus is? You see, he's present. He's in the lives of the people that the rest of society says, you're not worth anything. You're not as good as us. You're not as clean as us. You're not as holy as us. But repentant sinners know where Jesus is. And they put themselves in his presence. 
Now you may be saying, yeah, I mean, I got a, I got a brother or a sister who's away from the Lord. They don't even want the Lord. They, don't, they, they, they even know where the Lord is, but they don't want any part of him. And sometimes that's the case too, that we have walked away from the Lord. That's all right. We'll talk about that in a minute. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, thank you for stating the obvious, you pious people. Because that's exactly what they do. Yes, Jesus eats with sinners. He welcomes them. He wants to be near you. Your sin does not separate you from him. Your sin does not scare him. Your sin will not taint him. He loves to be with you. Jesus told him these par- this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Right? Now, who's a lost sheep? We need to define that a little bit because he says that the shepherd has, the 90, has a, had a hundred and one of them is lost. One of them walked, if you will. And that's how we understand in this parable that Jesus is talking about every person in all of creation. They all belong to him. All 100, all 100% of the human beings on this earth belong to Jesus. And some have walked. Some have gotten lost, maybe led astray. Some have gone their own way. But do you see here what Jesus does? He leaves the 99 behind and he goes after the lost. How many of you have ever been pursued? Maybe by a boyfriend, maybe by a girlfriend, maybe by a spouse. How many of you, just go ahead. How many of you have been pursued? Really? Only a handful of you? It was too easy, right? She just said yes. You said, will you go out with me? She said yes. There was no pursuit. Okay, I get it. To be pursued, right? Some of you are going, well, there were red and blue flashing lights and... I guess that's the closest I've been to being pursued. <laughs> but there for a little bit, it was like, somebody notices me, right? Now, it's for negative behavior, so that's not all great. But this is what Jesus does. He pursues the lost. Jesus entrusts the 99 to be safe in the fold. And I want you to understand that that's our job. The church's job is to keep the 99 safe. Jesus, he goes after the lost. You know how he does it? Occasionally he sends you. You know that? You become Jesus with skin on and you become the under shepherd and he sends you from the fold and he says, go after your lost brother, sister, mother, father, friend, coworker. And he sends you. And I love how he describes what happens when the shepherd finds the lost. And when he finds it, verse five, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Do you understand that when you go to seek the lost, the responsibility, and again, you're not doing this on your own. This is God-ordained, okay, spirit-led. 
your Jesus with skin on, and when you find the lost, you place them on your shoulders. And it's a burden to find the lost. It is. Now, you're not there to fix them. You're not there to make their life any better. You are there to burden yourself with being in their presence and to walk alongside them, to have empathy, to be in their life and to walk along as you go back to the fold. That's what it means to go after the lost. And so a lot of people can't stand being sent by God to go after the lost because they go, oh man, that's, that's a burden. And they suck me dry. It's so much time. I got to put effort into it. And God goes, I know. I know. But will you go? Will you, will you go after the lost when he calls you? Because I'll guarantee you that the person that is lost, that has been found, rejoices. And in their prayers, they say, I thank God that he came after me. He pursued me. And that's cause for rejoicing. Then he calls the friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Now notice the end of that sentence doesn't say who don't need to repent ever. <laughs> well, I'm part of the fold. Pastor said I was in the church. I don't need to repent anymore. Woohoo! No. <laughs> We're saying that at any given day or any given moment, when 99 righteous people are going, man, I'm enjoying the blessings of God. I am currently not in the state of sinning. Awesome, great. And heaven goes, yeah. But when one lost person repents, when they recognize salvation is at hand, when they allow themselves, right, to be brought back to the fold, heaven goes, Hallelujah! Oh, yeah, that's what we're about! That's why heaven rejoices over the one who repents and returns. And that's a great and glorious thing. And you know what? It deserves a celebration, right? It deserves, when at baptism, you want to celebrate with your family. Absolutely. Confirmation, sure. Whenever you say, you know what? I want to stand up and confess, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Yes, we should celebrate. And you should celebrate each and every day when humbly on your knees, you repent. When you say to God, I'm sorry. Jesus goes on and Suppose in verse 8, a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? What's interesting here, scholars believe that these 10 silver coins were probably what she received when her husband died. So it's her entire life well-being and that by having those 10 coins, she could almost earn interest. I mean, that's the best way to kind of understand it today. If you were to put those 10 coins, earn it, and you live off of the interest, that that's probably what she was doing. So to lose one of the coins means she probably wasn't going to make as much an interest. So she goes after it because this thing is valuable. 
This coin is, is, is huge for her existence and her life. And so she goes and does everything she can, right? Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. How many of you have ever celebrated a birthday on your own? Just raise your hand. Now compare that with celebrating with at least two or three other people. I mean, is there any comparison, right? It's good to celebrate. It's good to be with people. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You actually understand that you bring God joy when you repent? Not when you sin. Well, let's see, if I bring God joy when I repent, well, then I should go ahead and keep on sinning so that I can bring a lot of joy to Jesus. <laughs> no, no, that's mixed up. No, we bring joy to God when we humbly repent. When we recognize God is present. Do you understand that that's the problem here with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious leaders? Jesus, the Son of God, is in their presence and they want nothing to do with him. The sinners go, he's right here. The sinners, the broken, the down and out, the outcast, they are the ones that recognize the kingdom of God is here. So my guess is this, that when you're having a, a, a tough time, you're struggling, you're challenging, you're going, I just don't feel like God's very present. My guess is that if you'd get on your knees and repent, you'll probably open your eyes and see that he's been there all along. He's been there all along. So Jesus tells this third story of things lost. Verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the dad divided his property between them. Let me give you a rough translation. Dad, I wish you were dead so I could get the inheritance. Go ahead, fathers, look at your sons right now. Tell them, that ain't happening. <laughs> This is complete break of Jewish custom. You don't ever say to your dad, I wish you were dead. And maybe you, in a moment of a heated exchange, have said that before. Or maybe you've been the dad on the receiving end of that. but it's not a good thing to say. Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me half. He breaks, again, Jewish custom. And dad breaks Jewish custom by instead of saying, what the heck are you thinking, boy? He says, okay. Now, either this is a dad with incredible compassion already great patience maybe that he can see through his son's folly this horrible choice that he is about to make and yet he is somehow able to not condemn him belittle him 
but he gives the son his request. That's bold. That's big. Not long after that, verse 13, the, young, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The, the literal phrase there uh, has this connotation that he gambled it away. A little bit later you'll hear that the older son uh, says that he wasted it on prostitutes, but quite frankly they haven't had a conversation yet and probably wouldn't have heard how he spent the money. Here we have that he basically gambled it away. He was wild living. Enjoying, right? Penny slots turn into quarter slots. Quarter slots turn into dollar slots. On and on and on. And so... He squanders away the entire bit of his dad's wealth. And after, verse 14, he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He made himself a slave, and he sold himself to the only place it seems he could get a job. And a Jew does not do anything with pigs. Then I'll look at them, then I'll talk about them. They sure don't feed them, they sure don't eat them. This is how destitute he was. Maybe you know that kind of hunger where you'll sell just about anything to have food. We'll sell our soul, our body. We'll sell our schedule. We'll sell our good name. We'll sell whatever it takes to survive. And you may not have ever been in a position or a place like that before. You may not ever have been in that great of need. I pray that you never are, but... But I want you to understand, there are people in our midst, yes, even in Monument, Colorado, who know what it's like to be hungry and to do whatever it takes. Things that you don't think you would ever do. Things that you could watch in a movie and go, I would never do that. I would never get so, I would never make that choice. Be careful. I bet you would because I know many of you have. And so see, all we're doing is we're identifying, okay? We're just saying, where do I find myself in the story this morning? When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I know, I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. Now here, it's interesting. He's thwarted Jewish custom up to this point. He's asked for the inheritance. He's gone and squandered. He's gone out of country. That's a, another uh, a break. He's He's gambled it all away that not a good Jewish son would do. Fourth, he's worked with pigs. He's touched them and he longs even for the food that they have. But here, when he is at his absolute lowest, 
he goes back to his roots. Now, I like that he goes back to his roots, but, but you're going to hear here in a second why this is not a good thing. He goes back to his roots and he does this. He says, I know, I'll go to my dad and I'll follow the correct confession formula. And a Jew will do this. I have sinned against God. I have sinned against you. Now let me pay for forgiveness. That's the Jewish custom. You say, God, yep, I've sinned against you. Whoever you've offended, yep, I've sinned against you. Now let me pay for it, right? He says, let me tell my dad, don't, don't restore me. Let me be a hired hand and I'll pay you back. Now there are some of us going, dang right, you'll pay me back. <laughs> you're gonna work a bunch of extra hours and you're gonna pay me back. You want my good graces? It comes with strings attached. How many of you know you are absolutely a forgiver with strings attached? Me too. That's not good. It's not good. Because what it falsely teaches is that you can somehow earn someone's grace. So he got up and went to his father. And I gotta tell you, right at that point, when he goes, when he gets up, when he leaves the situation he is in and he goes to the father, repentance has happened. It's always the first step is recognizing where you are and realizing it's not a good place. Alcoholics will tell you this, right? Until you finally go, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a, I'm a drug abuser. Yep, I'm a philanderer, a cheat, yep. I'm a liar. That's just who I, I got, I got to admit, this is who I am. Yep, I cheat, cheat on taxes, I cheat business account. Yep, that's who I am. And when that happens, when you can finally admit sin, when you finally confess that, then you're on your way. But while he was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Right? Son hasn't said a word. You see how grace works? Grace looks for afar. And the second, the picture is almost like this, if you will, right? The, the picture is, is that the son is all the way over here in the dark. And he's doing his own thing here in the dark. And all the way over here, dad is, he's looking, he's looking. And as soon as the son, who's doing his thing over here, turns, dad sees it. Turn. This is why the psalmist writes, turn from your sin. Repent, which means literally turn. Turn from your sin. Come into the light. And the Father's arms are outspread. They're open. They are compassionate. They are filled with grace. And not only that, my guess is God will do that exact same thing. He will rush to you. 
You say, well, it was my turning that caused him to rush. No, I want to let you know that this picture of him doing this means, yeah, it felt far to you, but to God, he was with you the whole time. And remarkably, dad does this. The son says to the dad in 21, Father, I've sinned against you in heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's right. He's not worthy to be called son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it, let's have a feast and celebrate. See, no, I'm not gonna make you a hired hand. No, you don't get to pay me back. No, you don't get to earn your grace. It's free. And guess what I'm going to do? Not only is it free, with no strings attached, I'm going to restore you to who I made you, which is my son or daughter of the living king. That's what grace does. Grace says, you're not far from me. Actually, I saw you, and I've seen you the whole time. You thought you had your back to me, but I was watching you all the way. (laughs) I love you. Yes, turn, repent, and I'll I'll run to you, and I'll restore you, and we're going to celebrate. Absolutely, we're going to celebrate, because that which was lost has been found. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, let's have a feast. The son of mine was dead, is alive again, he was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. And what happens? Those of you with siblings, when one of them got forgiven... What begins to burn in your heart? Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, called one of the servants, asked, what is going on? Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Ooh, you can just, can you feel the heat? Can you see the grimace? 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So, amazing. The father meets the son outside. Don't pass by this. Do you not realize how many times God has met you where you're at? Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeying your orders. You notice how the son in his self-righteousness views it as a lesser. He should have said, Dad, all these years I've been sunning for you. But he doesn't even view himself. He sees himself as a slave. But never did you give me a young goat even to celebrate with my friends. 30, but when this son of yours, he correctly identifies, right? He's still a son. But when this son of yours, not brother of mine, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. It's not fair. Right? My... Son, see, even even when you're angry with God, you're still his son or daughter. 
You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. You've been part of the fold. You've never lacked or needed a thing. But we had to celebrate because this brother of yours, so he corrects him. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We rejoice. We rejoice when the lost come home. Our mission statement says it very clear. Reaching those who do not yet know Jesus Christ by strengthening and equipping those who do. Our job is to strengthen and equip you, to give you hope, right? To remind you of all of God's promises, to, to remind you of your grace, of that you've been a part of the fold, but he does send. And he sends us to go walk along and take on the burden of walking with the lost. And that's a hard thing, but you're more than equipped to do it. I want you to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, your forgiveness, your reinstatement into the family says, you, you belong to me, so go. Go with all of that confidence. You're my son. You're my daughter. Forgiven, redeemed. And hey, by the way, don't forget to celebrate for crying out loud. This is a great thing when one more comes home. My prayer for you this week is that you, in finding yourself in any of these three stories, when you recognize sinner, you repent that you turn and there that you see this most incredible loving face of the father who comes to you, wraps his arms around you, plants a kiss on you and says, welcome home. Amen.